She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. It's Friday, and it's the very first guest on the She Loves Herself podcast of 2022. So my guest is someone very, very exciting and probably a first, um, well, he's a first for the podcast, but what we're going to be talking about is definitely a first. So my guest today is Stefanos Sefandos. So for those of you who don't know who Stefanos Sefandos is, let me just tell you a little bit about him. I have been sharing his work on Instagram every week for the past six months. He is a love and relationship coach. He works with the masculine and the feminine. He works with men and women and couples together. He focuses on inner child trauma, inner child healing, intimacy, sex, relationships, all of the juice, right? And in this episode, we are talking about intimacy or lack of intimacy. Where are we not getting our needs met? Where do we need to meet our needs for ourselves? How can we communicate effectively what we really desire from our partner? Um, And when should we walk away? When should we walk away from a relationship? This has got everything in it. And I know that it's going to really land with so many people because I just know that so many people are struggling with this and they're not talking about it. So we get some real nuggets from Steph on what we can work on to really have a fulfilled, full, conscious relationship. So even if you're single, this episode is definitely for you. And if you are not single and you're in a relationship, then you really want to tune into this. Um, Steph has also written his book, Tuned In and Turned On, which is available for pre-order right now and it will be released at the end of May. I just ordered mine yesterday. I cannot wait to get it. Seems like so long till we can get our hands on this. But if you're looking for some other free content from Steph, you can follow him on Instagram. I've dropped his Instagram handle in the show notes. And you can also go to the link in his bio if you do want to work with Steph because, I mean, he is just incredible. Um, And before we go into this episode, I want to just quickly tell you about the Empowered Women, which is my 10-week coaching program. So if you are looking to work with me on a deeper level, then this program starts on the 3rd of February. There are really limited spaces. I'm only taking a really small number through this because what we're doing is we're working on every single layer of your being so that you can really heal, really heal, really release and let go of anything that is holding you back from truly, truly embodying self-love on the deepest level. We have 10 lessons, 10 modules that you will work through. You will then be coached every single week by me for 10 weeks. So there's 10 coaching sessions. I also have two experts that come in and deliver incredibly powerful masterclasses for you and then at the end we record a podcast episode together it's an absolutely beautiful journey and it's everything that I have learned in the last four years put into this program it's deep and it's not for the faint-hearted 
but it truly is transformational. So if you are interested, there only are a few spaces left. Please drop me a DM on Instagram or drop me an email hello at jill-ritchie.com. I'll also drop those details in the show notes. So don't hang around. The spaces will go and we can arrange a little discovery call to find out if it's for you. So let's go into this epic episode with Stefanos Safangos. Enjoy. She loves herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to She Loves Herself. I'm so, so happy to have you here, um, Stefandos. It's, it's just amazing to have you here. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know that you are, you speak on a lot of podcasts and things. So um, when I reached out to you to come on, I kind of put it out there. I was like, right, okay, we want him on here because I followed you for a, a while now and everything you see I resonate with I share it and I know when I've been sharing your stuff on my social media I've had a lot of people DMing me saying who is this guy oh my gosh this is amazing and when I had my event three or four women came up to me like you're the guy that you're sharing like like oh my god he's amazing and it, what I really think's funny is that you know even now people are still very you know, oh, what, what is that? What are you talking about? What's he talking about on the, you know, on your social media and things like that? And I know like where you are, you've got so many followers and very, very well received, but particularly I would say in Scotland and in the UK, I don't see this conversation happen a lot. So to have someone like you coming on, it's a complete breath of fresh air and it's definitely a first for the podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah, like I said, I appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so let's just get straight into it. I wanted to ask you, Steph, how did you begin your journey? So how did you begin your journey from where you were? What took you on that path to where you are now? Yeah, I think for most of us, it's and particularly for myself, it, it, it has been a journey of pain, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not to say there hasn't been joy and celebration of freedom and a deeper understanding of who I am along the way and revelations and deeper revealings and connections and intimacy and a remembering of who I am. But ultimately, it's, it's been a really intense journey of pain. You know, as a kid, I I grew up in violence and volatility, a very unstable home. Um, and at the same, and the reason what made it really unstable was that there was love in my home, mm-hmm. and there was terror in my home amongst my parents, towards myself and my brother, from my father, namely, but also my mother, moving around a lot. Um, it just, you know, a sense of very deep, deep unhappiness in my parents um, that turned and transmuted into aggression and rage and anger and so there was just a lot of instability and volatility and I lacked uh and I at least I lacked the I I had the perception that I lacked intimacy and connection and, and trustworthiness in my environment and so as an adult really seeking to to create that and and in my early years as a teenager and as a young adult I really attempted to recreate or create rather a sense of belongingness and and connection and intimacy in unhealthy ways you know through love compulsion sex addiction and prostitution and 
um, and womanizing and, and, and alcohol and adrenaline and uh, ego and, and violence. And f- I was just basically, you know, recreating my, my upbringing and not knowing it, right? And so not being aware of it at the time. And so for me, the catalyst became something that occurred in my early 30s where I was in a relationship she found out that I was cheating in that in that relationship and there was a lot of infidelity and dishonesty and lying and all of that brought up a lot of undealt with shame, unresolved trauma and fears and things that were driving my behavior, parts of my past that were driving my present. Mm. And and from that place it was a real awakening, a very rude awakening, a very painful one. And that's when my you know, I hadn't been asleep up to that point. I'd been quote unquote awake. I'd been aware of certain things in my life, but I never took action on them. I never went deep enough. I was too afraid and too unable and too distracted with all the things I was numbing myself with. Again, sex, food, alcohol, um, you know, attempting to elevate my status, money, like all those things. And there's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with wanting money and having it. It's where it comes from. It's your desire within like, it's not the desire itself. It's the, the essence of the desire, the come from the how, Hmm. and the how is it being generated in your reality? Right. And so for me, it was a very rude awakening and it brought up a lot of pain, a lot of unresolved trauma and abuse. And I had choices. I could either continue to ignore, which I just couldn't do anymore, that I didn't give myself that choice, or to go into it. And I went into it. And the the three outcomes were suicide, or death, basically, mental asylum, or I get through this and I grow in a tremendous way. And very thankfully, in, in a blessed way, that's where I am today. And so that's the short of of the story. But the, the, the unraveling in the in-betweens and the nuances of that were – um, very profound for me and very deep. And, and there were many times where I was on the edge of suicide and on the edge of losing my mind. And I did. I had to lose my mind in order to gain a new mind. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think, you know, I've never sort of been at the point of, you know, suicide or, or contemplating suicide, but for sure I definitely felt, as you said, was I asleep? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel I was, but there was always a deep knowing within, you know, that part of the soul, that whisper that's always saying, you know, this this isn't right, this isn't it, but never fully trusting myself, um, mm-hmm. listening to everyone around me, you know, be a good girl, do this, do that, you know, and actually never fully following probably my heart um, and not trusting that. But, but equally when I say not trusting it, still having that deeper knowing that, uh, there is something else there. There's there's something there that I need to tap into. And I, I actually didn't sort of start doing this work until I was 37. And so, you know, four years ago, and it, it was just incredible what's happened on my journey. So I wanted to ask you, because I knew that after I did the work, I just felt like I have to share this with people. There are so many people that are so afraid to come in and do the inner work and, and trust themselves, that real lack of trust from within. And um, so I felt like I had to go on that journey. And I wanted to ask you, what what was it that, you know, because we see a lot of a lot of female coaches that are like crushing it and they're talking. And we, there, there's a lot of male coaches as well, but to a lot of male coaches in terms of the ones that talk, the language that you talk, that really get women on board. Because there's a lot of great male coaches and there tends to be a lot of men that follow the men, right? However, what I love about you, Steph, is there's this real blend of 
men and women that are really um, captivated by what you say because I think from a from a female you get women it's like you know I was thinking before you came on I'm like it's like um, what women want it seems to know what women want what's going on so I wanted to ask you like what was that that you just get it (laughs) well it's a lot of it was a lot of trial and error Mm. you know to be very very honest and very transparent there were many times where, and this is obviously a subset of society, but I have been, but I've applied this approach to everyone that I've encountered in my life, really, this this deep curiosity about how they function, how they operate, their internal operating system, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational. Mm-hmm. But I, to be completely transparent, I don't even think I've, I've shared this publicly because I've never really had the question asked and it's, the response has never started from this place within me, but I'll, I'll just follow that thread. So I, I spent a lot of time, again, I, you know, I've come from a place of sex addiction and love compulsion and a lot of my value and my worth, um, but not only my value and my worth, but my avoidance came through peak experience. And one of that, one of those peak experiences outside of adrenaline was sex, right? And was mm-hmm. orgasm and was sexual union and, and and my nervous system and my mind for so long uh confused sex the act of sex and the peak experience of sex with um genuine long-lasting emotional intimacy which was really what i was craving is what we all crave at some levels to be seen and to be understood and to be loved mm-hmm. and i'd spend uh a lot of time um with women that i would pay to have sex with or to have, even if it wasn't the, you know, the act of sex, but to spend, uh, you know, physical, sexual, intimate time together. Right. And, and part of that, you know, over the years and part of that was, I would, and let me just go back. And in addition to that, like I said, I compulsion addictions are real things. There would be me going out and meeting women casually and having, and having casual sex and that whole culture of yeah. casual sex and one night stands and all of that. And so with that, I would converse quite deeply with these women that I would spend time with and I would want to get to know them and I would want to understand, you know, why they do what they do and what what values do they hold and what's important to them. And I was genuinely very curious mm-hmm. because there was so much going on. There was guilt and shame that I had from doing that, from being in that action. And so part of my justification was, well, if I can get to know this person at, a, at an intimate level, like at a real level, then it offsets some of that guilt and shame and, and everything yeah. else with it. And of course, that's not completely true, but in, you know, we do, we're very good at justifying things as human beings and I am exceptional at justifying anything. Oh, yeah, we can all do that. <laughs> of course, yeah. And so there was that and that with a combination of being a highly sensitive person, being very empathetic and in tune to my environment and to people, being a keen observer of human nature. There are many factors that lend themselves to me understanding people at in the capacity and the way that I do, right? I, there's And there's always room for growth there. But when you ask that question, that's, that's, a, that's something that came to heart and mind that I think maybe – uh, maybe it has contributed, not maybe, it has contributed to mm-hmm. my understanding of the feminine's need and the woman's ne- women's needs and human needs, right? Human needs first and foremost. And the fact that I've hurt a lot of women and I've hurt myself and I've hurt people and I've been hurt and I've chosen 
to examine that hurt. Now, initially I did it, right? And, and I did, but to a very shallow extent. But over the years, I really started awakening and expanding my own sense of self and who I was in the world and who I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I began to reflect very deeply and very critically, not in a critical way, like uh, in, a, in a way that was judgmental towards myself, but in a very deep way, yeah. these experiences that I was having and how I was hurting people and I was being hurt and what did it mean? And I started to unpack all of that. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons as well, again, I know one of the reasons why I am able to be with people and be a safe space for people in my nervous system, in my physiology, but also in my mental and emotional and relational body is because I've, I've been very diligent and deliberate in reflecting on big experiences that I've had, meaningful experiences that I've had in life to learn and grow from them. Yeah. And then, we, you know, our brains are meaning-making machines and we're pattern recognizers. Mm-hmm. And so the more we practice that, which I practice connecting dots and, and seeing patterns in human behavior, in small groups, in individuals and in larger groups, then you, you naturally become more proficient at that. And that's also the, the, the work and the service that I do in the world. That's what I do all day, every day is connecting dots for people and for myself. And so I think you, you develop a level of a, astuteness around that. Yeah, for sure. And you've got that, um, you've created that space to be able to hold space, you know, that yeah. in terms of really cracking open those parts of yourself and healing allows you with boundaries obviously to have that space to to see beyond the physical of someone else you know to see that emotion to feel it intuitively really connect with it so it's really gorgeous and I really resonate with it and not in the sense of for me you know you never really sort of sex addiction I was probably the opposite I was probably one of those you know ones that had definite more fear around that like as a a child, you know, I was an absent dad. And so it was always my mum, my sister and I, and I was always raised to be a strong, independent woman. You know, you don't need a man. Always keep a little bit back. And it was through love, you know, we say love disguised as fear, right? Um, That my mum raised us really, really well. But it was, and people used to look at me and say, you're so strong, you're so independent, you don't take shit off men, blah, blah, blah. But actually I really found that, through relationships, I would, it would be amazing at the start. And I see this with women. I want to go here with you because I want to ask you about this. Relationships can be really amazing. The the sex is amazing. It's full of passion and everything at the start. And then a few years in, often that dies. Okay. The intimacy, the connection. And I know I've done a lot of work on this personally, um, really looking at my old patterns, but I wanted to ask you about that because I think that so many of us, and I say this from a really loving place, but so many of us that I see around are lying to themselves. So many people in relationships are lying to themselves and to one another. And there's this fear of really getting, you know, together and communicating on a conscious level about their needs. And therefore, I mean, I know some people that haven't been intimate with their partner for years and they're married and you know, they just don't talk about it. They're not talking about it. You know, they've got kids. And it's like, yeah, we just, you know, we don't talk about it, but we don't have sex. And it's like, whoa, like this is a big thing. And I think once it opens up, I, I'm starting to see it more and more and more and more with people around me. And yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, how that, how you believe that happens in, in relationships. Yeah, I mean, it's quite simple, actually. And, and you're right that that 
and I think there's some empirical evidence and and very much anecdotal evidence around this or demonstration around this that um, that sexual intimacy withers, right? And the reason or reasons why it withers is because in the in the limerence phase of relating, in the honeymoon period of relating, we have blinders on and we're very polarized in our view of ourselves in relation to mm-hmm. the other and we're very polarized in our view of the other in relation to ourselves, yeah. right? So we see the best of them. We don't see the quote-unquote worst of them. And as we start to you know, continue that relating process and we start to intertwine and integrate our lives at a deeper level, culturally, socially, economically, et cetera. You know, maybe we decide to have a family, maybe we don't, whatever that looks like. What often happens is the honeymoon period, the hormonal flush begins to settle down. And so the cocktail of hormones that we have in our bodies changes. And so now we're able to see each other in a more equilibrated way, but that causes friction within our internal perceptions because our internal perception is attached to this person being this way, being this quote unquote perfect individual, right? Um, and you know the the novelty has worn off, so to speak. Okay, the the variety isn't there, and so we start to move into our old patterns, our old paradigms, and patterns of behavior or coping strategies or wounding that's unresolved. And so now there's friction that's caused. And usually in relationship, we we meet each other to heal each other, right? Yeah. Not to do the healing for each other, but to be catalysts for healing for each, for ourselves, right? And so that's when the healing begins. But what happens is most people don't. And they're not aware of what's happening, that it's old stuff infiltrating the present that's actually here to be healed and here to to create a sense of wholeness. Now, your wholeness already exists, but to actually grasp that sense of wholeness and remember that you're whole. And we do that in intimate relating. And then we can reconnect again. We can reinvigorate the relationship. There can be novelty injected again into the relationship. There can be seeing each other through new eyes. And and so we go through these processes, but often people just don't follow that through because A, they're not aware of what's happening, that it's old wounds coming up, complementary wounding that's there to actually help you and serve you, not go against you. People are so triggered and activated emotionally and so scared that they – leave or they cause more drama or you know you cause so much drama in the relationship and so much friction and tension that it's a very easy decision to say you know what this Mm. person's not for me looks like this relationship's not the one then you've got people that are addicted to the honeymoon phase as well you've got you know you know i was very much that person right and there's still elements of me that are that have that compulsion right and so it's about checking where is that really coming from where is that really coming from within myself you've got people that are unwilling to place effort into a relationship as well. So there's many, you know, when it, when it becomes challenging and to actually grow through those challenges. So there's many reasons as to why that happens. And also potentially that relationship just isn't the relationship for you, but can you grow and learn from it before you move on and not take that baggage and that unresolved garbage into the next relationship? So there's some of the reasons why that can happen, but really the beautiful, profound opportunities to reconnect and to see yourself in a completely new light and love. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And I feel like even on a personal level, I had Definitely, I didn't even realise I had the patterns of after a few years, it would be like, I felt like the partner maybe would try and control me. Or, and one of, my, one of my core values is freedom. So when I felt like I wasn't free, I would like, ah, and then I would go straight into like avoiding and then they would become more attached and I would become more avoiding. And I used to honestly, then it would get a little bit funky. You know, they would maybe see a few things and I would be like, I'm not putting up with this. Goodbye. And then 
this went on and on. I'm like, this seems to happen a lot, you know, and it would be me that would end it. And um, I had a coach a few years ago and she actually, I was telling her about it. I'm like, I don't know what it means, this, this thing that the guys do, they try and control me and then I don't like that. And then they try and put me down. I'm not having it. And then she said to me, have you heard of the term frog farmer? And I was like, what? She went, well, you're a frog farmer. You turn princes into frogs. And I was like, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. And actually, we're joking aside, it's not that they were like complete princes and saints. However, I got what she said when I realised mm. that I was so avoidant and a few years into the relationship. And as I worked on this, I realised, I know that people listening to this will resonate. It was a safety thing for me. Mm. When the mask came away, Steph, suddenly I was naked, not just physically, but emotionally naked. And they saw all those parts of me that felt very scared, that little girl, that inner child, that vulnerable piece of me that didn't feel safe. And so I would kind of really kind of contort and just want to escape. And for anyone who's in a relationship and maybe feels that things, you know, are a little bit stale or things aren't working or maybe our partners aren't showing up and just really understand that everything is a mirror and everything is a lesson. And actually, what is this reflecting back to you as an individual? What are the patterns? Because I, I didn't even realise I had patterns. And I think when you say doing that work on yourself, it is, it's key, right? It's taking full ownership and responsibility, not saying that, okay, it's all him or it's all her. It's actually saying, right, okay, what can I do? What's happening here for me? What is my needs? Because I, I truly believe that so many people don't even know what their own needs are. So therefore, if we don't know what they are, how on earth can we meet them for number one, ourselves? And number two, how can we expect a partner to meet our needs when we don't even understand what our own needs are? Do you know? Yeah. That's that's part of the awakening process and the awareness journey. It's it's that. Mm. And and if you're struggling to see that, here's here's something that can be really helpful. You don't have to think that you're broken or something's wrong with you and you need fixing. You could simply just be innately curious about mm. what is accessible to me that I cannot see. And that way, you know, you engage a coach, a therapist, a, you join a group, you know, you ask friends to give you feedback about who you are or what potentially you can't see. And then that opens up a dialogue. They may say, well, well, what, what is it that you think you're not seeing or what is it that you would like to see or what is it exactly that you would like me to share about? You know, and then it opens up this dialogue and then we can start looking at, you know, what are the patterns that play out in my life throughout my re intimate relationships? What's the same thing that keeps happening with different relationships, but I'm the common denominator in that relationship, right? And so it's really just being curious about self and about what's possible. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I do feel that... I so many people aren't aware that actually they're they're not broken and the relationship maybe isn't broken like I've, I've also you know worked with couples who have you know been in a relationship for 10 years and the intimacy's gone and then it's come back again when they've both done this work separately and then come together to do the work and start to communicate on a level that they have never done before and it's it really is transformational because I know that you've talked about this before um, around somatic work, so somatic healing and stuff. And it's thing, you know, I've I've been through that myself, and it can feel like a proper dark night of the soul, like like an exorcism. <laughs> However, that work, that moving that trauma through your body, that energy through your body and out of your physical body is absolutely 
incredible and it's definitely been key for me moving past because when I I was doing sort of different levels of work and then when I really went into the deep 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 work it was a lot of somatic healing and moving it through and again I was actually carrying stuff that again if not if this isn't for everyone but for me definitely through my ancestral line through the bloodline through the women and there was a real pattern with the women and my generation and, and the generations that came before me that I actually carried that wasn't even mine. Yep. And so actually when we identify, because I think sometimes again you talked about shame, we hold so much shame that we don't want to talk about it. You know, oh, I struggle with sex, I struggle with intimacy, I don't want to do this, this feels weird. But we hold so much shame around it that we don't want to tell anyone. So we hold it in our bodies and it can really make us sick. Yep. Yeah, it really can. And so that's, you know, physical trauma, physical, physical shame, um, sexual shame, sexual trauma is a very real thing. And it does make us sick. And it makes us sick because we, so when you look at just very briefly, this is interesting. I find this fascinating personally, mm-hmm. but we look at the development of our nervous system and the way that our physiology inge- interacts with one's environment, with our environment, right? And and how that then feeds information into our body and into our brains and then how we deduce, you know, whether do we move forward in safety or do we retract in fear, right? And do we contract yeah. ourselves? And so when you look at the dorsal vagal nervous system, which is part of the parasympathetic branch, part of the autonomic nervous system, it's about 500 million years old, right? And and this this is represented by our enteric system here, our gut, our viscera, you know, our, our, ourselves down here. You've got a sympathetic nervous system, which sort of starts at the, sort of the middle of your back there, and it's about 400 million years old. That's part of the autonomic nervous system as well, two branches, sympathetic, parasympathetic. Then you've got the latest edition, which is about 200 million years old, and that's the parasympathetic uh, or the ventral vagal system. So that was dorsal vagals first and the ventral vagal is the last one. That's part of the parasympathetic nervous system. That's here represented in the heart, throat, face, et cetera, and that's represent, that represents social engagement. The the ventral uh, – sorry, the dorsal vagal represents immobilization, so stuck. Like it's the yeah. oldest – it's the oldest – uh, access to a response we have to trauma, basically, or to, to anything in the environment that's happening. And the second oldest then is, is mobilization. That sympathetic is fight or flight, essentially, right? And and up here is all social engagement, hence why we can tell so much with what's happening sort of here up with people's facial expressions. That's why wearing masks is, is can, be, can be very dangerous from a social um, engagement perspective, especially for young children that are developing that and understanding what that looks like, yeah. but also, you know, the way that we move forward and back and all these things, I could go in, I could spend hours on that. But mm-hmm. my point around the physical trauma is that we often become immobilized depending on our upbringing as well. So when we've experienced sexual trauma, which is below the waist, right below that gut and even physical trauma, we feel it in our gut a lot. Our, our um, go-to can be immobilization as adults. So you'll, you'll find particularly, particularly with women, you'll find that there's um, the, the people pleasing or the contortion is a result of the, 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 the sense of immobilization. They can't speak their truth, express their truth. They can't be in their truth. They're stuck in their truth. And so that it, it, it represents or it expresses itself physically where you're physically stuck and you're paralyzed. It represents itself and you can't speak or you can't say the things that you'd want to say or you shut down emotionally and then you, you know, you, uh, invert that and it becomes this pressure cooker inside and it either, 
comes out in various ways. It can come out in manipulation. It can come out in people pleasing, you know, trying to make other people happy consistently to have some level of appeasement or safety within yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a very complex um, understanding of what really transpires, but but understanding at the same time, it's complex meaning laid, but it's simple, right? And so we need to heal our bodies. We need to heal that somatic, that somatic therapy or somatic work is, is, is working on the emotions and working, not reliving the past, but allowing it what wasn't released, what's stuck in the nervous system and in the physiology is giving you that an opportunity to move through you, to emote, to physically move the body, create movement. So there's no stagnation. And that's part of the healing process when it, when it comes to uh, you know, any abuse that we've experienced. So we're not bringing that into intimate relating constantly in unconscious and conscious ways. Yeah, I love that. And I think that people are scared to go into the story of it because, you know, the mind wants to make a story around everything, right? We're meaning-making machines totally. But actually sometimes, and that, that can help in many ways because it can get us into it and get us into the emotion, get us into the feeling and start like navigating through it. However, sometimes now I know because I've done a lot of work myself, sometimes an emotional just come. So if I'm doing a move in yoga, like a wave of like tears will just come through and I'm just like, all right, that, that's cool. Whereas before I'd have been like, oh, what is that? What did that mean? Oh, there's something wrong with me. And we start to label everything and, and it, the, you know, the, the, the ego and the mind want to just go wild with this stuff. But actually just connecting more to your body like your heart and going in there and really building up that trust and going into yourself. So for me and for anyone else listening, something that really helped me connect to the heart was just simple breathing, like conscious breathing, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, one hand on the heart, one hand on the belly. Mm. And just even for one minute doing that really puts your nervous system into safety. And it allows you, the more to, the more you do that, it allows you to build that sort of almost like a trust muscle and safety around your body, starting to show you more and more each time. I used to suffer really badly, Steph, with sore throats. And again, just like, oh, I'm just someone who gets sore throats. But I realised there was just so much that I was holding in. And I noticed with clients, as soon as they come to me, if they've got, you know, IBS, I've got gut problems, I've got sore throats. There's just so much connection there and we can really start to go in. Um, do you believe, Steph, because I, I definitely do, that everyone has access to do this work. Everyone has access to really tune into everyone's energy. It's just so many of us are living from the headspace, right? Yeah, I do. I do agree. And I do resonate with what you just said. And we are very heady as a, as a community, as a, as a society, right? And we all do have access to this work in different ways. And the reality is some of us may not access that in this lifetime. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and then to be really detailed, some don't have access, some have traumatic brain injuries, some don't mm -hmm. have their mental faculties. Some are dealing with immense personality disorders. Some yeah. people are dealing with poverty and, and socio-cultural, socioeconomic dis, uh, dysfunction that, you know, really impacts their ability to even look at any past trauma. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, it's, it's a yes. And, no yeah. answer, response, right? But for the majority of, our, and this is an assumption, of course, and a generalization, but for the vast majority of people that are listening to this right now, you would have access to being able to apply healing methodologies and practices uh, and consistency to yourself. I love that you said consistency because people often try it's it for a week and they're like, oh, that didn't work for me. Consistency is everything. I'm like, what? 
how long did you do it? A couple of days. No, you need to go late longer than that. You know, you've been carrying this shit for like 35 years. You know, you know, five days isn't going to cut it. So it's really about, but I guess it's starting small because I believe as well, your nervous system will only give mm. you as much as you can handle. Like yep. I, the work I've done this year, I wouldn't have been able to do that four years ago. I wasn't ready. You know, I don't think emotionally, physically, I, I don't think I would have got it. Um, but this year has probably been the biggest year for me around getting to that real dark place that I knew was there, but I couldn't access it. Couldn't access it, but this year for sure. So it's like, I guess it's just about starting your, yourself on that journey and, you know, jumping back sort of to relationships because going back to the amount of people in relationships that aren't perhaps conscious with their partner, how do they start? Yeah. Right. How do they start? Say, for example, you've got someone, they've been together for 10 years, maybe got a few children, and they're really missing connection and intimacy. The partner's not giving it, they're not giving it. What, I guess I'm asking, what, what would you say to them? Yeah. First thing they can jump on, uh, we have a, my wife and I have a free sacred union process that is really powerful for igniting connection and intimacy. And you can find that at christinehassler.com slash sacred union. Um, it's a really, really powerful, um, it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful process that we take people through, but ultimately it's, it's firstly recognizing that there is a disconnect or an issue there or that one or both of you as partners are dissatisfied, unhappy, not feeling fulfilled that something's missing and not ignoring that. And then obviously it's, it's having a conversation with self first and getting clear on what is it that your needs are, you know, nonviolent communication, imago dialogue. These are great tools and techniques for communication with understanding self and, and also with others, um, with part, you know, with your partner. But, you know, if you have access to this, I would recommend um, seeing someone, you know, a therapist, a coach, a counsellor, um, you know, couples counselling, whatever it may be, someone that can give you a perspective, trusted, respected, revered, revered source of information that can reflect back to you um, what you, you're maybe not seeing and the patterns that you're stuck in that are very habitual, you know, within our neurology and our physiology and our, our mentality and our emotionality and our relationality and all of that. And so... You know, having someone that can really support you through your journey because we're relational beings when we're stuck can be really, really powerful. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And we'll obviously put all those those um, details in the show notes as well. And nonviolent communication is a great book. Is this the book you're referring to or is that something else? Sure. I mean, both. It's the process, the actual process. Yeah. Of the, I mean, the, the, at the simplest level, the process itself is a four-step process. It's observation emotions or feelings rather so observations sensations needs and requests right and then there's a structure of how to play that out how to actually you utilize that method in your relationship in the way that you communicate and and again this is just a tool it's not the be all and end all it's not necessarily going to uh take care or heal your past trauma but in a sense it will contribute to healing because you're redoing the way you're accustomed to doing life which simply perpetuates and reinforces old patterns that are usually vested in unhealthy ways of being or unhealthy traumatic experiences yeah and i think there's just so much fear for people going there isn't there so like again it's that conditioning around well you know you're married now you've got kids you you've got to stay together unless your partner's really really violent and it's so so bad then you know you need to stay and i really do believe people have that hardwired 
that, oh, well, it's not that bad. We're not that bad. You know, we're okay. So we'll just stay together. Um, and, and something I've, I've, I've researched a lot um, in the past sort of 18 months is about consciously uncoupling and how we don't need to hate each other. It doesn't need to get to a point where it gets so toxic that it gets to that point where you have to separate and then it impacts children. Like there's a lot of people who are teaching, you know, this work around consciously uncoupling, which is absolutely beautiful. But again, this is so new to people. It's like, well, well, you know, we're, we're maybe a six out of 10. It's all right. But gosh, that's, you know, do you want all right? Or do you want like pretty freaking awesome? Um, well, some people and most people are happy to, a, be complacent and B, live a mediocre life because the effort required um, to make and create an exceptional relationship really is effort. It's, it's, that's, the, that's the reality. Anything worth pursuing requires effort and an yeah. application of effort, right? And so, and so many of us are accustomed to, we've witnessed our parents growing up not applying effort, right? Yeah. The people around us not applying effort. Our society is a society of convenience and short-term gratification and quick fix solutions. And so if that's not presented, we're sort of stuck. Oh, what do we do? You know, our upbringing, our education, our models of education, um, so much of, of how we are seen and see the world it's impacted and affected by our upbringing and so if we're really accustomed to not putting that effort in and thinking well we can just settle and that's another thing like low self-worth and trauma and abuse and all of that lends itself to um low self-worth and so we just think we're not worthy of x y and z so mm -hmm. now we have to undo that and having someone there as a as a mirror can really uh, support that that growth yeah. transition and safe I guess I probably know what you're going to say here, but I'll ask you anyway. Do both parties need to be involved in this for it to work? No, actually don't. Mm -hmm. Will it be optimized? Yes. Yeah. At, some, at some point, the answer is yes. Both parties do need to get involved unless mm -hmm. you're happy, quote unquote, doing your work and being aware while your partner isn't and you're, you're wanting to or choosing to live in that environment. Yeah, this is it. Because there's a lot of couples that, you know, one of them will do the work. The other doesn't, and they're absolutely fine with that. But often when as that person who does the work starts to grow and evolve and, and you know, open up their consciousness much more, it starts to highlight things that perhaps they need to maybe work on with a partner. And I guess, you know, you can do it alone, but if you want that conscious relationship, perhaps, you know, your partner needs to maybe be on board or else you're going to go around maybe trying to fix them and change them. And we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to change people because, you know, that can be shitty as well. You know, we're trying to change. You've got to change. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to, you know, actually everyone's, you know, we're all whole and complete, right? We're not here to change people. And I think that's a fine line as well. You know, when if we do the work, we understand that unconditional loving to people that aren't on that journey it's okay. It's like, I unconditionally love you anyway, but then you've got to decide, is this partnership for me? Is this enough for me now? And either it is or it isn't, but you don't change someone. You unconditionally love them for where they're at anyway, because they're on that journey, right? Well, I think anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his reaching a place of unconditional love is very challenging for many, right? Like re it's really challenging for many. Um, and it, it is definitely something I think uh, humanity can strive for 
and it can be one of our collective and individual, not, I don't want to say goals, but embodiments, right? Where we, we really get to a place where, you know, I've had this conversation I, and I existentially and philosophically will, will, will mull over this with, with friends and, and, and peers and, and with my own self, right? Does unconditional love actually exist on this earth plane in this way? And, and I don't, I don't know if it actually does, but we can get close to it. We can, love with less and less conditions. And more importantly, we can love with less and less judgments. And how we get to that place is by doing our inner work and clearing the clutter of our own past, creating spaciousness within ourselves to allow room for that, to be able to see beyond the superficial, to not be so easily hurt. We're so easily hurt as human beings. So quickly, like just the moment. And and I'm so guilty of this. And and when I say guilty, I don't mean guilty in, in a derogatory way. I mean, I'm so, I'm so like this. The moment my nerve because of how I grew up, the moment my nervous system feels threatened, boom, I'm on the attack and I'm on the defense, both simultaneously. And so many of us live like that because our nervous systems are hijacked by our past traumas. And so doing our inner work is so useful in mending and healing relationships that often break down when they don't need to. And you then give permission for that other person to also soften into their nervous system and into their mindset, into their way of being. And now we're starting to create a new uh, beast in terms of relating and intimate relating and healthy relating. Yeah, and I think as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how attached we are to people, things, situations. And we get so attached. And I noticed even with me, I didn't realize how attached I was. Um, to, and I thought it was healthy attachment to family, right? And actually, it's great to have connection. But attachment, we want to really try and work on that. Because when we are so attached, you know, the minute, the minute, second that they sweep that rug, they say something that hurts us or whatever it may be, they sweep that rug from under us. It's like, it's like a sucker punch. You're like, what the hell just happened there? Why am I so angry and I'm triggered? And and then, you know, we're either like expressing it outwardly or or we just really just go inward and just shut people off. So, you know, I love what we're saying. It is really around identifying your own work, like really getting to know yourself and having fun getting to know yourself. I think people think, oh, the inner work, oh my God, no, she's going to make me do that bloody somatic thing where you cough up and all that. But actually, right, and it can be like that. I don't say, like, I've done it, you know, get some clients that are ready to go there, right? They know and the ones that are listening know, know the ones that have done this work with me. It's amazing. But not everyone's ready for that, right? It doesn't need to be like that. Have fun getting to know yourself. Like, honestly, like, be like, right, what do I like? What, what? you know, what pleasure do I like with my, my partner? What do I want? And do you know what? It might be that you get to that point where you're like, actually, it's gone. The You know, yeah. it's never coming back. And that's okay. I think this attachment, again, to what will people think if we yeah. separate? Oh, I can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear, I hear you. So I, so two things I, I, I'd say here, you know, I have a, a process, um, so I have a coaching institute with, with three other people. My wife's one of them, uh, Elementum Coaching Institute. And so one of the processes that we have for helping people move through trauma is a, it's a six-step process. But part of that process is pleasure, placing pleasure back in the body. Part of that process is not taking yourself over the edge. And this is based on years and years of research into trauma and understanding that it, it, sometimes we can get to a place where we can't return from. So it's very slow. It's called titrating. We're exposing ourselves very slowly to the intensity and we're coming back. And like you said, we're having fun with it and our ability to play with it. And it's not always going to be fun and play. 
play, but our ability to be to play with it resides in that we, we, this is a long-term game. Like we, we don't want to flood the nervous system with too much, right? Mm-hmm. That, that can be really too painful and too intense. Yeah, that's why you have to go. And if you, or if you are looking into doing this work, go to someone who is qualified, experienced. Absolutely. And, and safe. And safe. Safety is huge. So make it's everything. Sure Safety is oh, the healing. Oh, my goodness. Because, you know, having someone that's taken clients through it and been through it myself you know, you want, you need to have that safety because yeah. your nervous system is like really triggered. And as you said, Steph, you only do it little bits at a time. You know, you don't go straight yeah. in there because it's yeah. like, whoa, you know, you do it and then you rest. And yeah. actually resting is really important, right? So anyone that's working on yes. anything like this or relationships, don't think, oh my God, it's just, I'm going to just do all this for months. You, you do need to do it in stages because actually resting is the integration part. It's where like the magic really happens, do you know? Correct. Yeah. Micro and macro stages of integration and rest, right? And micro and macro stages of, so it's in and out. Think of oscillation. This is also known as pendulation. You're in and out. You're in the intensity, you're out of the intensity. Now, what determines how long you're in for and how long you're out for are a number of factors, but a couple of them are uh, willingness, uh, your ability to, resilience is another one. And I don't mean resilience in, in, in only a mental or emotional construct, but I also mean in, that, in a physiological construct as well. Um, and also, you know, the, the the extent of your trauma or what you're dealing with, the the issue itself, the willingness on the on the other person, the environment itself, there are many factors. And so the, the body has a very natural way of intrinsically knowing mm-hmm. how far to go or to push per se or to peek over the edge or to get close to the edge. So trust the, the body's innate wisdom. And if you're with a practitioner that is qualified and connected and understands, they're going to be able to guide you as well. And then through reciprocity and neuroception, you're going to feel safer in the presence of that individual. Hence why safety is the healing. And then you'll be, you'll have more courage and ability, actual ability to go a little further every time, just a little further every time. Yeah. And that's part of, part of the process. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. And I know we're just coming up to time now and it's just been amazing um, chatting to you. Just finally, before we go, yeah. when would you say in a relationship, a couple should walk away? Oh, that's really hard to tell. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really. That was a loaded question. Eh? You're like, yeah. oh my God. In terms yeah. of, you've got to do the work, right? So if you've done the work, yeah. And you're feeling like mm, it's just not here. Yeah, when you, when you're when you both are clear on your non-negotiables, and you're both not, or one of you aren't meeting those non-negotiables on a consistent basis. Consistency works in every direction, not just for the quote-unquote good, right? And so you have to be self-honoring in that. If your partner is consistently not honoring you and honoring themselves, you may have to walk away from the relationship because it's it's a feeder. It's you, you your presence in that relationship could be feeding the toxicity of the relationship. For sure taking full responsibility for your part. Yeah, Yeah. doing the work, not walking away before you've done it. Do the work, yeah. Steph, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you, I appreciate you. 